huge importance in knowing, understanding, grasping, in knowledge. And um, that's, that's going to be the theme. My title, if you want a title, is Knowledge is Power. So let's pray, and then we'll get to work in the Bible. Father in heaven, thank you um, that you're the God who knows all. You're the God who has his ultimate wisdom. You're the God in whom we find understanding for our lives. God, I ask you, as we've gathered tonight, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray we'd hear things. I pray we'd be educated. I pray we'd grow, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. And I ask God you'd touch every life, including mine. We thank you that you're here by your Holy Spirit. And thank you in your presence. All things are possible. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Apparently, according to research released in 2001, one in four of every British adult has experienced at least one diagnosable mental health problem uh, in any one year. Also, it is found by the World Health Organization that an estimated, it's estimated that 450 million people worldwide have mental health problems. Another research shows that mixture of anxiety and depression is the most common mental disorder in Britain. Almost 9% of people meet the criteria for diagnosis in the UK. Mental health is on the agenda. It's on your agenda. It's on the nation's agenda. Uh, it is the biggest cause why people are off work uh, in the UK. The, the, uh, days lost at work, the, the biggest reason for people being off work is mental health issues. Your mental health is fundamental to your well-being. If you haven't got good mental health, it really does cripple you and inhibit you in life. But when you get healthy minds, it empowers you to courageously move forward, make good decisions, take good steps, and have courage. If you're strong on the inside, you can handle the stuff around you. If you're crippled on the inside, you'll be crippled by the smallest disaster around you. So mental health is important. And actually, the Bible places huge importance on this. The Bible's greatest emphasis is, is deeper than your mind. The Bible places greatest emphasis in your heart, or the Bible uses the word your spirit, your heart, your spirit. The Bible uses it interchangeably. <clears throat> really, your eternal well-being depends on your spirit, on your heart health. But your earthly well-being also is dependent on your mental well-being, or you could say your soul's well-being. The Bible uses that word soul to describe your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your earthly well-being is dependent on your mental well-being, on, on your knowledge, on your ability to handle certain things in your mind. So your mental health is very important. And we've been going through the book of Proverbs and um, on, on Sunday evenings, and we're kind of coming towards the last quarter of that series. It's been going for about a year. We've been looking at different, whole of different subjects. And one of the things that keeps coming up in the book of Proverbs is the importance of what you know. And the reality is what you know will either inhibit you or empower you in life. If you know truth, if you know good things, if you know God-revealed things, it actually empowers you to live a great life. If you believe lies, if you know things that aren't good, aren't healthy, it can torment you and undermine you. And actually, if you look at it, it's often the root cause of the various problems you face in life. So what you know is so important. The Bible says, famously in Mark 12, 30, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said this, it is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your minds, and with all your strength. That covers every single part of your being. The Bible's it teaches that the greatest thing in life is that you love God, is that you love God first and foremost with all your heart, with your innermost being, with your spirit. And secondly, it says you should love God with all your soul or with all your minds, your ability to make decisions. How do you love God with your mind? You see, God wants us to love him in an educated way, not have a blind faith, but have an authentic faith based on reason, a reasonable faith. And then also God encourages us to love him with all our strength. But notice that he does place in there loving God with your mind, 
your understanding, your grasp of truth, your knowledge level is important. Your education is important in the sight of God. And we see that the knowledge is, is, is viewed very differently in this world. Let me just take you through a few different types of knowledge. When it comes to human beings, I would say that we have selective knowledge, certainly deficient knowledge. It says in Romans chapter 1 and verses 18 to 21 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. Listen to this. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness since that what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood through what has been made so that men are without excuse. So the Bible here is saying that literally in what God has created, that in itself is like an explanation of who God is. That if you look at this world and your conclusion is, there's a good God, there's a creative God, there's a God who's interested in detail, there's a God who's a designer, there's a God who's at work. When you look at the world and these are the conclusions you make, you're you're actually doing what God intended it to do. Because the world was designed in such a way, God made it in such a way to communicate to us, to say to us, to reveal to us knowledge about what God is like. And it says that all these things have been in the world, having been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But in their thinking, they became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, the, we, we've, we've looked at this world, we've understood that design equals designer, architecture equals architect, leaflet equals uh, graphic designer, website equals web designer, world equals creator. It's, it's, it, everything else in life, is something designed equals designer. How much more the greatest design ever? Our world, you, you're, you're the way you are, the way you take our ecosystems, the beautiful tension, the balances, everything that's held in. God is designed in great beauty and in the grandeur and yet in the detail. Everything God designs. And it reveals to us that there's an abundant God, a loving God, a lavish God, a God who's interested in details, a God who set the scene for the pinnacle of his creation, mankind to live. And yet the Bible says we've become futile in our thinking. We've, we've ignored the reality of God. We've said, ah, oh, whatever. And we, we, we see the reason many people deny the reality of God is because if you accept the reality of God, it means you're accountable to a God. If, if you're just your own man and God didn't create you and you just happens, then you're not accountable. You're your own God. You make up your own rules. You do what you seem fit. And we, we argue that as long as we're sincere about it, you go down that route, you can justify all kinds of things, including murder and theft and whatever suits you, as long as you're sincere about it. Yet, we believe as Christians that is a God who created everything, and therefore we're accountable to such a God. Uh, Richard Dawkins, in 1987, in The Blind Watchmaker, he said this, we have seen that living things are too improbable, too beautifully designed to have come into existence by chance. Then he goes on to explain that they did. (laughs) That to me seems futile. To have the appearance of design, yet you say, but it wasn't really designed. Now you wouldn't do that with our meager attempts of design. Architecture equals architecture. You You wouldn't say architecture just happens. You would say architecture equals architect. Yet when it comes to the most beautiful, most complicated design, we've become futile in our knowledge. So let me start by saying that I think human knowledge often is selective knowledge. We choose what we want to believe. We have knowledge based on our preconceived philosophy. We approach things with an agenda and we choose what we want to believe and what we want to know about and what we do and what we don't want to know about. And then we see this divine knowledge and the Bible teaches us that God has certain qualities that make him very different to us. And uh, for example, he's uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once, right? That's, that is a quality that you and I don't have. Do you? Do you? Do you? You, you are just where you are. But God is everywhere all at once. Um, and that, that's very different to us. He's um, omnipresent. He's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. 
Now, you and I have a certain amount of power, but we're limited in our power. But God is all-powerful. And the Bible also teaches that he's omniscient. He knows all. God is the fount of all knowledge. And in him, I believe, is true knowledge. Okay, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that now we see but a a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. The Bible talks about how in this earth, in this life, we are restricted. As humans, our knowledge is limited. But a day will come when we come into his presence, when we come into heaven, when we come into eternity, where the Bible teaches that we will know even as we are known, that we will gain a whole lot of knowledge. But the Bible interestingly talks about God having all knowledge. Interesting, the Bible says, even as I am fully known. Did you know that God knows everything about you? God knows you better than you know yourself. That's a freaky thought. God God knows every detail about your life. He even knows things that you didn't know about you. The Bible says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Some of you are giving God a very easy job these days. The Bible says, it says in Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. See that? God, the Bible says, is familiar with all your ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Whoa, that's freaky. God knew I was going to say, whoa, that's freaky. That's freaky. And God understands, even, even when, you, when you're about to say something, God knows exactly what you're going to say. He knows the thoughts and the inclinations of your heart. He knows every detail about you. Oh Lord, you have hemmed me in behind and before. You've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So we understand that human knowledge is selective. It's very limited. And we typically choose to know certain things that line up with what makes us comfortable in life. Is, is objective as you try and be. That is the reality of human situation. But God, however, is all-knowing. He's ultimately just. He's, he's completely objective. He understands the truth. He knows the truth. He is the fount of all knowledge. Now, the challenge is, how do we gain knowledge? Because oftentimes, in our desire to gain more knowledge, instead of us actually becoming healthier, we become unhealthier. Many people in their desire to gain knowledge just become arrogant sods. They become full of themselves. They become big-headed. And they, even in religious circles, in fact, mostly in religious circles, you get people who are just religious nutters. They're, they're so full of themselves. They, they think knowledge is so that they can argue a case and beat someone in a debate. And they become, their knowledge has made them arrogant. And that is not the kind of knowledge that the Bible's talking about. True knowledge doesn't bring arrogance. Actually, true knowledge will humble you. True knowledge will keep you incredibly humble and walking with humility with others and with God. But in, in our attempts to gain knowledge, we've gone about it the wrong way because we have prioritized mind rather than spirit. True knowledge begins, I believe, with God. It says in Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So according to the Bible, if you want to gain knowledge, if you want to gain wisdom, you've got to start with God. And that makes sense because God, in Him, He's omniscient. He knows all. In Him is knowledge. In Him, who knows and understands everything, surely He must be the starting point for our knowledge. The Bible says it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you have a deepest respect for God, and walk in awe of him. According to the Bible, that is the beginning of wisdom. According to the Bible, when you, um, the, the knowledge of the Holy One, when you understand God and you seek to understand God, this is the beginning of true understanding. I believe that knowledge brings power. The right kind of knowledge empowers you in life. I believe it unlocks. It says in Proverbs 24, 3 to 5, by wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, 
the rooms are filled with all kinds of precious and pleasant riches. A a wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases power. According to the Bible, if you have knowledge, it gives you power in life. It also teaches that when you have knowledge, your your life is, is being kind of paralleled with like a house. And according to the Bible, when you have knowledge, the rooms of your life will be filled with all kinds of precious and pleasant riches. True knowledge will bring great things into your life. You see, to illustrate this, knowledge bringing power. You think of electricity. The fact is, we didn't invent electricity. That was God's invention. It's always been there. It's always been possible for human beings to tap into electricity. But as we gained knowledge by studying the world that God created, by studying natural laws and science and things that have been in place since the creation of the world, by studying these things, we gain knowledge, and by applying that knowledge, we access the power which we call electricity. And now all of a sudden, because of our knowledge, because of our increased knowledge, we've learned to use that power to our benefit. So we have things like, um, very important things like radio-controlled cars and um, kettles and toasters and um, televisions. Uh, anyway, you, you, can, you can continue the list. Lots of important things because knowledge unlocked that power that was always there. Now that's a, a kind of natural example, but it is the case in the spiritual realm. When you understand spiritual truths, all of a sudden, your life goes to a new level. All of a sudden, a whole realm opens up to you. All of a sudden, it's, it's like you've been given a key to a house that was always yours. You've always admired the house, but now you've got the key and you can go into that house. Knowledge unlocks great things from God to you. The right kind of knowledge. It, conversely, in Hosea 4, verse 6, it, uh, Hosea says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge limits you. It's like there's so much available to you, yet your lack of knowledge means that you're not tapping into it. I remember um, <clears throat> Andrew Owen, who, who pastors our church through in Glasgow, he, his uncle was a farmer in Wales. And for, for, many, for many decades, he had worked a particular piece of land. He didn't own the lands. Someone else owned the land, and he paid rent to the landlords for the lands that he was farming. And all his working life, he worked incredibly hard to put food on the table and to pay the rent on the land. After decades and decades of working that land, it came time for Andrew Owen's uncle to retire. And when he came to conclude the kind of rental deal and sign things off and relocate to another location and kind of give up the rent, the lawyer, his lawyer discovered that the person he had been paying rent to for decades never owned the land. And for decades, he had worked hard. He had paid a debt that he did not need to pay. He paid someone a price that he didn't need to pay. And it's because of his lack of knowledge of the reality of the situation that he was expending himself in life. And many people are paying a price they don't need to pay. They're carrying a weight they don't need to carry because they just haven't got the proper knowledge of actually what has become available to them. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. True knowledge will unlock great things for you. So I think, I think in many areas in life, many areas in life, you have people who have been scarred deeply in childhood. And they're growing up with scars, words that were spoken, lies that were told them. They were told they would never amount to anything. That you've got handicaps or disabilities. You're a nobody. You've been sidelined. And you've believed that stuff. It's not what God says about you, true knowledge. It's not what true knowledge thinks about you. It's, It's what people have put onto you. And you've believed it. And you have lack of knowledge of the truth. And as a result, you're living a lie. And as a result, you never go for those job interviews because you're a nobody. And as a result, you never... Buck up the courage to ask that girl out because you're only going to get a knockback because you're a nobody. And you believed something that inhibits your life. And you're paying a price and you're, you're carrying a weight you don't need to carry. It's a lie you've believed and it's held you back. We, um, Roddy, who's on staff, has 
as our psychotherapist and counselor on staff here, every day he meets many people and typically people are carrying weights because of beliefs they have. They've believed something. Something happened to them way back that's given them a thought pattern and that thought pattern is causing them to have, make crazy decisions and to, to do crazy things to themselves and to others and their, their emotions are all over the place because they've simply put their hope and had faith in a lie rather than believing truth. It's, it's, it's bound them up, it's held them back. And we've seen this in religious circles as well. So people have grown up in certain religious backgrounds where you've been held in fear. And, and you've been, the, the Roman Catholic Church for many, many, many centuries didn't really make accessible the Bible to the people. So what was happening is people were hearing the truth from the priest, but they were not getting access to the truth for themselves. And in, if you read the Bible, you find that actually the Bible itself encourages people, every person, to grasp the truth, not to be spoon-fed it. And as a result, certain unscrupulous leaders were fear-mongering, were adding things to the Bible, were adding loads and burdens onto people that they didn't need to carry, and, they were, and people were doing all sorts of penance and paying all sorts of things to get their their dead uncle out of purgatory and all sorts of nonsense that actually isn't in the Bible, but people didn't have access to the knowledge to realize that actually we don't need to pay that debt. Many people are, are, are carrying all sorts of religi- religious baggage. Many people in the, in the church are, are walking around believing that, well, God doesn't heal. Many in religious circles, many people have been taught, well, God gives you sickness to teach you something. And they've believed that kind of stuff. And it's the wrong kind of knowledge because it's not true knowledge. It's not knowledge that's found in the Bible. It's knowledge that religious people have made up. So what as a result is they're, they're carrying this kind of weight. They're getting sicker and sicker. They're never asking God to heal them. They're never asking someone to pray for them. And as Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Many people are held back because they don't understand God's forgiveness. They think they've got to earn God's forgiveness. I've got to do certain things to get God to be pleased with me. I've got to pay a price. I've got to earn my brownie points for God to accept me or for me to get to heaven. Well, it's a lack of knowledge because it's not what you do. It's what was done for you. Your salvation is entirely based on the God who 2,000 years ago sent his son Jesus. Jesus lived on earth and at the end of it, he died on the cross. He paid the price. You don't need to pay a price. He paid the price. He paid the price for us sinners. He was the sinless one. He shed his bloods on that cross so that as we put our faith in him, we get saved. It's not by me earning God's favor. God already loves me. He paid the price. It's not me, it's him. He's my salvation. I can't earn it. He earned it for me. And as I believe in him, I experience what he achieved for me. On the third day, he rose again. He's alive now. And he's alive to give you his salvation. So we've had all these lies that have kind of held us back and we have it in the world we have it in religion and we, people have been held back knowledge is important true knowledge is really important you know for me there's been a number of key things that have gripped my soul that have, that have, that have grasped in my head that have been it's like someone's just turned the key in a handcuff and I'm free Here's three of them. I remember becoming aware of the power of the Holy Spirit. See, again, I, I, was, I grew up in a church. I, I went to church on Sundays. My parents took me along. I was told that God was there. I was told that he was real. But no one ever told me that I could be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and see the miracles happen through me. And I could speak in tongues. And I could see gifts of the Holy Spirit and have prophecies and, and, and have this amazing experience of the power of the Holy Spirit, just like they did in the Bible. We can experience today. I'd never been taught that in my church. And they, and they would read the verses, but they would never say, and you can experience this. They never kind of linked 2,000 years ago to today. But the reality is God hasn't changed. He hasn't lost any of his power. And God's design more than ever is to empower his people. I remember one night... I remember it vividly. I remember one night having read some Bible verses about the power of the Holy Spirit. I was lying in the bath at the time. I was lying in the bath, 
reading some Bible verses about the power of the Holy Spirit, and I thought, wow, this is so simple. It's like a veil had been lifted. All of a sudden, I understood, man, this is available. And I remember getting out of that bath, went across to my friend's house. Sorry, got out of the bath, put my clothes on, <laughs> went across to my friend's house, because that would have given everyone else a big revelation otherwise. <laughs> uh, I, I put my clothes on. I went across to my friend's house, and I said, Brian, I've just read these things in the Bible that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like the early disciples where people laid hands on them and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and they, they saw great things happen. And Brian, like myself, had gone to a, a church all his life. He'd been grown up in a church. He had heard about these things, but no one had ever told him that this is available today. So just in total simplicity of faith, I got on my knees in his bedroom back in Glasgow and he laid hands on my head and he prayed for me. And in that moment, I had such an incredible sense of the presence of God and all I can say is I had an experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and I started speaking this language. I was fluent in a language I had never learned before. Incredible. But that was, that was a revelation to me. It was like all of a sudden I understood something. And do you know what? If I had never had that bit of knowledge, I could be trying my hardest to live the Christian life on my own strength. But because I gained a bit of knowledge, all of a sudden it unlocked a new room for me. Another one for me was the church. You know, for me, I'd, I'd grown up in, in churches that typically weren't growing. Around me, I saw the church was shrinking. You know, it was shrinking as fast as people died. And there was no new people coming in to top it up. That was the problem. So therefore, my expectation was, well, churches don't grow. But I remember one particular, and I can tell you exactly where it was again. You know, when sometimes when God speaks, you vividly remember exactly where it was. And I remember one particular time I was, I was down in Bilth Wells at the Royal Welsh Showgrounds. It was in the afternoon. I was up in the hills. I was reading the Bible, sitting under a tree, beautiful sunny afternoon. Um, they have sun in Wales. It's nice. <laughs> and there God spoke to me. And as I was reading the Bible, I suddenly discovered that actually the church grows. According to God, he's building his church and it will grow. It was like a light came on. All of a sudden, my, the experience I saw around me was secondary. What was primary in my heart was what God said in the Bible. And in the Bible, it's true that God wants his church to grow. It's his church. It's his body. He wants it to grow. He wants it to influence. He wants it to impact cities. He wants it to be a catalyst for change in communities. He wants it to be light in darkness, where it not only brings spiritual answers, but also brings practical answers to people. And he painted in my heart, in the canvas of my heart, such a picture of what church could be. My faith came alive. And do you know what? If I hadn't had that expectation, 10 years ago when I came to Edinburgh, none of you would be sitting in this room. Well, 15 of us would be sitting in my living room at Haymarket and we'd be talking about how tough it is being church. And oh, isn't it tough that, you know, well, let's pray for revival. And, you know, and we'd be all into ourselves and we're all inward with no expectation of anything other. But do you know what? One of the reasons the church has grown is because God gave me a knowledge. It's like he handed me a key and it just set me free. All of a sudden, because I, I, my experience was churches don't grow, but God gave me faith based on knowledge. And when that knowledge came, it unlocked a whole realm that now many people are benefiting from. One of the biggest revelations and the best revelations was that God is for me. And I had a hard time with that one, to be honest. I don't know if it's, if it's a Scottish upbringing, but you're kind of down on yourself a little bit. Lack confidence. Carol Craig said in Scotland, you're more popular if you fart in public than if you speak highly of yourself. It's true. It's quite, it's true. Scottish have an issue with confidence. You know, they don't have much confidence. And they, they translate that onto their faith in God. So that we're walking around hoping God will bless us, but not with a real confidence that he's for us. But again, I remember reading the Bible in my late teens and coming across Romans chapter 8. And it's like the, that, that, the passage in, in, in 29, 30, and 31, verses 29, 30, 31 of Romans 8, just gripped me, gripped me so deep in my soul. It says, if God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son 
but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I thought, man, I've been wondering if God's for me. But 2,000 years ago, he made the biggest demonstration that he's for me. He sent his own son. Why do I think he's holding back? He's not holding back. He's for me. He's backing me. And it's like God gave me a key. And it unlocked a whole new realm. And do you know what it did for me? I no longer prayed weak prayers. I no longer thought, well, that's too big for God to answer because he might not like me today. No, no. God is for you. It came as a revelation to me. It dawned on me. It hit me. It gripped me on the inside. And knowledge was downloaded that gave me a faith that totally transformed and revolutionized my Christian life. It also gives me a hope and a faith that God is for other people. He's rooting for you. So I have an expectation that actually life can go well. Why? Because he's for me. So we understand that, just as Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But on the flip side, in Proverbs it says that when you have true knowledge, it's like your life is like a house and your rooms can be filled with great and precious treasures. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 22, understanding is a fountain of life to the one who has it. When you get a bit of understanding, it becomes like a fountain of life for you. It just, it, it brings life into your life. John, in John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus speaking, and he gives us a key of how we can gain this knowledge. And he says, if you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth. You shall have knowledge of the truth. And the truth will make you free. So Jesus said, if you abide in my word, and you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. When you tap into him, the source of all knowledge, he gives you knowledge. He gives you truths. And when those truths come, it brings you freedom. In fact, you know what? The biggest thing for me was when I was 15. And I haven't been dragged to church all my life. I never knew God. But when I was 15, in the back lane near my house, I put my trust in God. All of a sudden, I connected with God. It was, and do you know what? Life changed. Life changed. For the first time, I truly put my faith in God. For the first time, I'd made a commitment to follow Him. That everything about life changed. It was like a veil had been lifted. You know, the, the world came alive to me. I saw trees and I got excited. I saw squirrels and I jumped for joy. <laughs> you saw me dancing through. But I'm serious, it, life just took on a, an exuberance. The, there was a drama in creation. There was the, I, I started being excited about starry nights and things that I hadn't seen before. I suddenly really saw it's like a whole new world of reality came. As soon as God is added into the jigsaw of your life, all of a sudden the picture is complete. It completely makes sense. You see it in a new way. You know, we've talked about the importance of uh, true knowledge and how when you know true knowledge, it unlocks blessing in your life. The adverse is the same as well. If you have deception, if you've believed lies... It can actually bind you up. It can hold you back. Okay, here's uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 8. It says, Two things I have asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches. It's interesting. It says, Keep deception and lies far from me. It's an unusual prayer. Keep deception and lies far from me. But did you know that I, I don't think anyone ever sets out to be deceived? But how many people know people who have been deceived? Every one of us. We see it, they can't see it themselves. They're blinded to it themselves. Yet no one sets out to be deceived. See, there's a frailty to humanity that we have a tendency to error. We have a tendency to latch on to things that are not truth. This is why we need God. We need to be close to him. And here, the writer in the Proverbs says, God, I'm asking you that you would keep me from deception and lies. Deception and lies. Uh, I've got a little funny story here that uh, when Michael, my, who's now five, when he was about 
one or two. It's probably when he was one, to be honest. He was being potty trained. He was trying, we were trying to get him out of nappies, um, the evil stage, and get him into potty uh, stage, which is a bit less evil. And one of the things we did to try and encourage him was, you know, when he, he sat on his little seat watching Bob the Builder or whatever, we would give him, we'd, instead of putting him on the seat, we'd sit him on the potty and give him a very large cup of apple juice and encourage him just to sit and watch and to sip, right? Because we figured that what goes in will come out. So he'd sit there with a very large cup of apple juice. Now, he also knew, because we had incentives here, we, we gave him sweeties if he did weebies. So we, we, this was, kids need incentives, so he would sit there, and we'd encourage him, sweetie, if you do wee-wee. Anyhow, right, we went out the room. Remember, he's sitting on a potty with a cup of apple juice washing Bob the Builder. And in his mind, he's thinking, if I do wee-wee, I get a sweetie. Five or ten minutes later, Michael comes through with a full potty <laughs> of green colored liquids. Now, okay, I got this liquid and I suddenly thought, wait a minute. It, it did smell slightly of apple juice. I went through and the beaker was empty. Right? I really didn't know. We, he got the sweetie. I don't know whether that was pea or apple juice. Honestly, I don't. Now, when we get to heaven, we're going to ask many questions. We're going to say, did Adam have a belly button? We're going to say, who killed JFK? And I'm personally going to ask, was that apple juice? <laughs> or did he pee, right? Seriously, I mean, that was a big, that, that was a very canny lad. If he just poured the apple juice in and brought it through, that was very, very clever. <clears throat> but I suspect he was trying to deceive me. And, you know, the reality is that there is a lot of counterfeit in this world. Now, the fact that there's a counterfeit tells us that there's a truth, okay? So, for example, you wouldn't have counterfeit six-pound notes. That'd be crazy. You get a six-pound note and you say, forget it. You get counterfeit five-pound notes. Why? Because there is such a thing as a five-pound note. The fact the counterfeit exists demonstrate that the truth exists. And if there's a truth that exists, I guarantee you, there will be a counterfeit that exists. God has a great plan for you. He has great truths that you can live your life by. He has great knowledge by which you can live a great life. But I have to say, I also believe, and the Bible does teach, in the existence of another spiritual force, not a force necessarily, a being, Satan, who is a fallen angel. And, who's des- and he's called the deceiver. He's called a deceiver. Satan rarely turns up with a forked kind of tail and horns and, and a kind of staff, right? He doesn't turn up like that, pitchfork. If he turned up like that, we would instantly know, hmm, you're the devil, and we would avoid him. <clears throat> but Satan, having a level of wisdom, understands that actually deception and subtlety is the best way of operating, and that's the way he's always operated. The Bible says he disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan is very subtle, and deception is very possible. So here, this, here the, the writer in Proverbs says, keep me from deception and keep me from lies. Because I have to say, there is a battlefield going on for you. As I said earlier, your spiritual well-being, your spiritual health will determine your eternal well-being. But your soulish well-being your soulish health, your mind health will determine your earthly well-being. If you're struggling with lies in your minds, you will be totally inhibited in this life on earth. But that's not God's desire for you. God's desire for you is that you're free, you're walking whole, you're walking strong, you're walking blessed. And that only comes by true knowledge, true understanding. So we must pray like that writer in the Proverbs, God keep us from deception and lies. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 talks about this. Paul says, For we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that is against the knowledge of God. 
we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let me unpack that for you. The Apostle Paul likens our thought patterns to castles, strongholds. Just as you see Edinburgh Castle, it looks so immovable, so solid, so impenetrable. Many of our thought patterns are so deeply rooted in our lives, they're like strongholds. They're solid. They're immovable. And if you analyze, actually many of your problems come from the roots of your, many of your negative thought patterns that have been there for years and years and years. And Paul says that our battlefield, our war, is in the realm of destroying these fortresses, these strongholds, these mindsets. And it says we destroy speculations, ideas, concepts that try and grip us. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. In other words, things that aren't true that are coming against the truth. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? It means when a thought comes by your way, you've got to choose whether you accept it or not. Like you, you cannot choose what birds fly over your head, but you can choose what ones nest in your hair. <clears throat> you don't need to accept every thought that comes your way. And many of you do. That's why you're so easily depressed. Grips you with fear. A thought comes, it takes the carpet from out from under your feet. Your emotions take a big dive. You're confused. You don't want to take any steps or courageous. You want to stay in bed that day. A thought, how did it start? A thought came your way. Where did that thought come from? Well, you have an enemy of your soul. Sometimes those thoughts come from there. Sometimes your thoughts just come because you're an empty and you thought it. But many times those thoughts are seeds that are sown by Satan. And he wants to plant seeds that grow into big trees that are like strongholds in your mind, holding you back and crippling your effectiveness. I believe that's the truth. It's like you're an aircraft control tower. And these airplanes are coming along and saying, Roger, Roger, can we land, please? And you can get a choice whether or not you allow them to land. So certain planes, you say, you're welcome here, and they can land on your runway. Other planes, you say, no, no, you can fly right on by. So that's what Paul is saying. We... Um, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Is this a true thought? Nope. Out it goes. I renounce that. Is this a true thought? Yes, it is. That's a good thought. Thank you, God. My wife doesn't love me anymore. Is that a true thought? That's a destructive thought. You can go right on by. They're thinking bad things about me. They're talking about me. Well... What, what does that create? If you embrace that thought, it'll create paranoia. That thought can go right on by. Now, sometimes there are elements of truths in these thoughts. So what you've got to do is you've got to talk to those people or talk to your wife. I'm not saying live in delusion lands. I'm just saying don't allow thoughts to cripple you, to become great thought patterns in your heads that cripple your effectiveness in life. And it so often can. Bill Johnson said this, any area in our life that does not have hope is under the influence of a lie. That's a big thought. You see, if, 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 you're, if you're looking at your marriage and you have no hope in that area, then there have been lies sown along the way that either you or your spouse have believed and it's crippling you. If you're looking at your, your, um, your long-term well-being in life and you're thinking, am I going to be able to get a job? Am I going to be able to survive? I don't know if I'm going to make it through this year. Well, you've been believing a ton of lies. Your hope has been removed because you haven't been pondering truth. You've been allowing lies to land. You should have said, you can go right on by, but instead you allowed them to stay. You gave them validity. And what we do is this, when a lie comes, if our emotion connects with that lie, we think it's valid. We feel it's right, so we hold on to it. No, no, no. I don't care what emotion is surrounded with a lie. Reject it because it is not your friend. It will take you down. And these thought patterns can ruin you. I'm going to move on quite quickly here because time is going. The, the key to this is that we become people who have revelation and insight, who understand true things. You see, did you know it's not with your eye that you see? It's with your brain that you see. You see through the eye, but it's your brain that puts together the information. It's the same here that's, that's in, in the natural world. But also, we find in the Bible that the Christian not only sees with the, with the brain, but the Christian sees with the heart. The Christian sees with the heart. 
Paul says in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, I keep asking that God, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, our glory, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see, true spiritual seeing is not in the brain, but in the heart. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power towards us who believe. Here the Bible is telling us that God wants us to know things in our heart. You see, when a thought goes from here to here, it becomes a life-changing thought. You can know certain facts about God, but as soon as you know them in your knower, as soon as the penny drops those 18 inches between your head and your heart, and it grips you, then all of a sudden, it transforms your life. It becomes a real truth for you. It changes you, because it's a heart truth. But how, does, how do you get this knowledge? How do you get you from go from head knowledge about God to heart knowledge about God? Okay, here's some tips. Proverbs 22, 12 says, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge. Okay, let's consider that verse. And then a couple of chapters, so three chapters on, Proverbs 25, 2 says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That God, the Lord, preserves knowledge. And it also says that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. God has so much knowledge. God has so much truth. Things that will help your life. But he chooses to conceal them. Why? Because he's looking for us to come seeking. When you come seeking, you will find. It's actually God's desire to give you it. But he knows if he just gives you it without you seeking, you won't appreciate it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, every week we have a staff meeting at the beginning of the week. And there's about 10 folks on staff in the church here. And we start the week on a Monday. We uh, meet at 9 o'clock. We have bacon butties. We pray. And then we, we, we do a bit of teaching. We look at the Bible or we have a bit of discussion. And at half 10, we get on with the week. So that's, that's how we start the week. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a thing where we all, we talked about the importance of seeking truth and finding knowledge. And what we did was we said, right, let's, let's, get, let's just randomly pick some chapters from the Bible in, in the Gospel of John. And each one of us in the room just took a chapter in the Bible and we just sat in silence and we just pondered that chapter. We just sat there, we pondered, we, we read it through, we mulled it over, we considered it. And then, and the fact was this, as each one of us did that, as we took time to explore, to consider, to think about it, to ask God to speak to us through it, do you know what it does? You're reading things that go from here to here, that all of a sudden it's gone from being head knowledge to heart knowledge, and that heart knowledge is what changes your life. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to go search it out to go take the time. Proverbs 28, 5 says, those who seek the Lord understand all things. As you go seeking God, he makes revelations to you that those who don't seek God don't get. And I want to encourage you to be people who take the time with God in private to seek out truth. The the way I want to encourage you to do this is through meditation. Through meditation on the Bible. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit at the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Here's a person who is pondering truth, allowing truth to be mulled over in his heart and in his mind. And as he does this, or she does this, it, it just permeates through their being. And it, it results in that whatever you, does, whatever you do will prosper. That's what the Bible says. Now, we, um, if you were here a, few, uh, a couple of weeks ago in the morning service, um, 
you'd hear me talk about this, but for those who weren't here, how many people typically come to a morning service as well? Just so. Okay, it doesn't help me. It's very hard to judge numbers. Okay, nice, nice. <laughs> for the sake of those who didn't put their hands up, um, the Bible, the word for meditation, isn't like uh, the Eastern religion view of meditation where it's kind of, and you, you empty yourself. You know, my, my concern is that many of you are already quite empty, and <laughs> there's not going to be much left. That's my problem. But when the Bible talks about meditation, it's not talking about emptying yourself. It's talking about filling yourself. It's talking about putting things in. Not nature abhors a vacuum. It's not good to be empty. All right. Yeah, it's true. So pondering, meditation is filling yourself. The words in Hebrew is hagar, and it means to ponder, to imagine to meditate, to mourn, to mutter, to speak, to study, to talk, to utter, to muse. It's, it's taking time to let it permeate in your being. It's like that cow who chews the cud. It chews the cud, and then it swallows the grass, and then it's, apparently cows have got lots of stomachs, and a bit later on it brings up the grass again, and it has a good chew of that same bit of grass. Why? It's wanting to get every bit of goodness out of that grass. Then it swallows it into stomach number two. A wee bit later on, up it comes. It has another chew of that same bit of grass. It wasn't doing it. It's, it's constantly pondering, allowing that grass. It's trying to get the goodness out of every bit of that grass. And if you want to be a person who has true knowledge, then listen, you can't get that from someone else. You can learn from others, but you can't piggyback on their faith. You're going to have to graft this one yourself. If you're going to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge, if you're going to grasp things that will totally transform your life, and you're going to have to take the time yourself with God, seeking out truth. Take, get the Bible, open it up, find it for yourself. Let it grip you. Let it change you. Let it impact you. Martin Luther said this, I study my Bible like I gather, gather apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the ripest may fall. Then I shake each limb. And when I've shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole, like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake every limb. I study book after book. Then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapters. Then I shake every twig, or give careful study to the paragraphs and the sentences and the words and their meanings. That's a good way of approaching the Bible. It's good to read the whole thing. It's good to have a big overview. But it's also great to zoom in, because I tell you what, honestly... I've read novels, right? And you read a novel once and you've read it. But the thing about the Bible, I could read the same chapter over and over and over again. There's no book like it. And every time it grips you. Every time you find more. And you think, how does that happen? It's a divinely inspired book. It's the very word of God. I want to encourage you. Take time in the world's bestseller, the Bible. Ponder it. Let it grip your soul. Let it change your life. As a church, we're going through the whole Bible in the year. I want to encourage you, if you can join in with that process, it would really do you good. If, if, if you think, man, that's just too big a deal. That's too much. I, I'm not a fast reader. Well, why don't you take the New Testament portion of that? So typically, it's about three chapters of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New Testament every day. Why not just do the New Testament portion? So you go the whole, through the whole New Testament in the year. But take time to ponder. Do yourself a favor. Input truth to yourself. And as you do this, it will change your life. Let me end with, end with this. It, the Bible says in Proverbs fifteen fourteen, the minds of the intelligent seeks knowledge. Are you someone who seeks knowledge? Are you hungry for true knowledge? If you're not, then what you'll do is you'll say, that's all fine and well, Peter. But thanks for telling me that. But I'm not going to actually do anything about it. I'm not that bothered. I'm a bothered. <laughs> it doesn't really move me that much. You know, I know my life's naff and everything's falling apart and things are rubbish. And... But I'm not that bothered. I'm not willing to do the hard graft. I'm not willing to give it the time. I'm, I'm... In essence, what you're saying 
is you're not going to do anything about your life. You're just going to leave things going the way they are. You're going to stick with the nonsense thought patterns. You're going to stay in, in the ruts you've been in. You're going to have all these strongholds in the minds and fears and phobias. You're going to have a whole, all the things that God's got available for you in life. You're going to, you, you, well, they're there. And God will keep them concealed because he's looking for people who come seeking. I want to encourage you, according to the Bible, it says the mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge. If you're not seeking knowledge, it's a sign that you're not intelligent. So there. That is the ultimate sign you're not intelligent. Well, I don't want to know stuff. Well, you're thick. Seek knowledge. There was a, a young man came to Socrates, the, the very muscular philosopher, and he said to Socrates, O oh great Socrates, I want to know wisdom and knowledge. And Socrates, you an arrogant little nonsense head when he saw one, and he took him down to the beach, and he took him into the water, and he got the young man and grabbed us by the hair and pushed him under the water. And he counted to 30, and he pulled him back up. He said, what do you want? He said, oh great Socrates, I want wisdom. Then he thrust him under again, and this time he counted 30, 35, 40. And he pulled him up, and the guy said, <sighs> he said, what do you want? And the man said, oh great Socrates, <sighs> I want knowledge and wisdom. And he thrust him under. This time he counted to 50 seconds, 55, 60, he pulls him up. <clears throat> Socrates said, what do you want? He said, I want air, I want air. And he said to the young man, when you want wisdom and knowledge like you want air, then I will help you. Oh, wow, good lesson. It's true. Many people are just completely neutral when it comes to the important things in life. But I want to encourage you, be wiser than that. Be wiser than that. You might think, well, Peter, I'm not academic. I haven't got any degrees. Do you know what? Honestly, that's fine. It's nothing to do with your academic or perceived intelligence. Because true wisdom is nothing to do with how many degrees you have. True wisdom is how much you allow truth to impact your life. That's true wisdom. And according to the Bible, the intelligent person seeks knowledge. Be passionate about truth. I want to encourage you this year, go seek knowledge. Don't piggyback on someone else's faith. Get your own faith. Don't piggyback on someone else's knowledge. Go graft, go read the Bible, go learn from good people and get truth yourself because this will put a foundation in your life that will build you into a big person and provide you great opportunities to do great things. God wants to do brilliant things through you. A little girl um, was asked one day, little girl, who made you? She replied, well, God made me, well, a part of me, but I grew the rest. And I think that's true. God gives you life, breath, and intelligence. He gives you a spirit, a soul, and a body. And he expects you to seek him and hunger after him and grow in the important things in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, your truth sets us free. Your knowledge opens up opportunities for us in life like nothing else. My prayer, God, is that we would be people who are intelligent, who are wise, and who, out of that wisdom, go on a genuine seek to go and find truth, to find knowledge, and to build our life on, the thing, on, on knowledge and on truth. I pray, God, that we will not be just those who get second-hand information from others. That could be dangerous. That could be, that could be blind. That could be naive. I pray, God, we'll be those who find truth for ourselves. God, I pray that we'll be those who glean revelations for ourselves and those revelations would totally transform us. God, I pray just as you've taken me in a journey and revealed things to me that have been totally life-changing, 
I pray for my dear friends here tonight that God, this year would be a year where they go on a journey with you, where they learn from you, where they seek you, and where they ultimately find you and find truth in you. And I believe as they find truth in you that this will bring liberty, it will bring freedom, it will counteract negative, dangerous, devastating thought patterns that have been in their life for years. God, it will, it, will, it will give them freedom and peace in areas in their life where they've been up till now held captive and bounds. Thank you, God. It's your desire that we're free. God, I thank you that ultimately knowledge and wisdom begins with you. It begins with ultimately acknowledging you and coming to you, the source of all knowledge. As we heard earlier, God, you know everything. You know every detail of our lives. You know everything about us. And you love us. And my prayer is, God, that we would be open to you, that we would give our lives to you, that we would yield ourselves to you, God, the creator, the omniscient one, the one who knows everything and loves us just the same. While we're praying, while everyone's eyes are closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're here tonight and you know you're not connected with God, He's here. He's here by His Spirit. And I know that he, His desire is that you and Him are connected. So right now, as we're in His presence, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond yourself to Him, to pray, to commit yourself to Him, to choose to become a follower of God, a worshiper of God, someone who puts their faith in God. See, God loves you more than you'll ever know. He sent Jesus. Jesus died for you on the cross. On the third day, he rose again. He did this because he loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. And he invites you to come to him. So tonight, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here and you want to accept God's love, and you want to come to him, and you want to commit your life to him. The Bible says as you do this, you will receive eternal life. In other words, when you die, you won't go to a lost eternity, but rather when you die, you will be with him forever. If that's you and you know you need to be right with God, you need to connect with him, then I'm just going to give you an opportunity to do that. Very simply, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of commitment. And I invite you to pray this prayer after me, just, just quietly under your breath. Repeat it after me, line after line. So that's you, pray this with me just now. Pray, dear Lord God, I want to thank you, God, that you know me. You knew me from when I was born till now. I believe, God, that you love me. I believe, God, you love me that much, that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, I believe that you died for me on that cross. I believe that you rose again on the third day. And right now I'm coming to you and I'm asking you that you give me a new start on the inside. I acknowledge that I have failed you, that I'm a sinner, and I'm asking for forgiveness and for a new start. Thanks, God. Jesus, I'm convinced on the third day you rose from the grave. I believe you're alive right now. Right now I yield my life to you. I give you first place in my life. I make you my Lord. And I will follow you from this day forward until one day I meet you face to face. Thanks, God, for hearing my prayer. Thanks for saving me. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, you've just prayed a great prayer and God has heard you. If you prayed that prayer, I would love the privilege of praying for you and simply asking God to bless you as you embark on this new life with him. I'm going to ask you to do a very simple thing. If you prayed that prayer, if you made that commitment to God, can you identify yourself very simply by raising your hands just for a moment? Just put your hand up and keep it up for me. Thank you. Thank you. To anyone else, you prayed that prayer, you made that commitment. Thank you. Anyone else? 
before a prayer, is there anyone else who prayed that prayer? Quickly put your hand up and hold up for a minute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I pray for my dear friends here tonight, God, who have prayed that prayer, who have been so wise to say yes to you, and who tonight have asked you for forgiveness and have committed their lives to you and have made a decision to follow you. I pray you would fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, help them from this day forward to walk with you with passion. Help them to live a life that brings you honor. And I pray, God, you protect them. You let them grow in their faith. Help them to get involved in a great church where they can grow. And I thank you for them tonight. Thank you that you have accepted them and you've granted them eternal life as they've put their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, folks, we're gonna close our service by worshiping God. We've got some friends getting baptized in a few moments.